we're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, we're excited to be joined by Lee Smith, journalist and author. You may remember his excellent book, The Plot Against the President, and I'm sure you follow his work as well. If you don't, you absolutely must. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Emily, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's really great to be with you again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you actually, you have this new project with the mm-hmm. Daily Wire. Um, yes. Where you are, are narrating and using your work to basically explain the threat of uh, the Chinese Communist Party and our sort of entanglements, our elites' financial entanglements with them um, right now as it's unfolding. And there's an interesting connection between all of that Mm. and what's unfolding in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia right now as well. Actually, you were on on Tucker's show the other night, and Mm. he, he asked you about reports that the United States provided intelligence to China in right. a bid to sort of stop the invasion of Ukraine. And you brought up yeah. Mark Milley. <laughs> you brought up Mark Milley uh, yes, going behind right. Donald Trump's back and assuring China that they wouldn't be nuked. Uh, can you flesh out yeah. the, uh, that yeah. connection more? Because I think it's a really interesting one. Yeah, thanks. Well, first of all, I, I want to say, yeah, with the, with the Daily Wire series, it's a five-part series, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to have had a chance to work with them. They're, they're, it's just a great group. And um, it was an honor, and the production values are are amazing, and, and I hope that I live up to how great the rest of the production is. Um, so thanks to them, and thank you again for bringing me on to talk about that and and, and related issues. Yeah, my, my point was when I said that, uh, when I was comparing that sharing of intelligence with the Chinese to Mark, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff's phone call with his Chinese counterpart, as he put it, was there's this easy... Um, casual familiarity between uh, the American political and corporate establishment and 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 Chinese Communist Party elites, which should be shocking to, to Americans. The idea that a phone call like that is made, right? But we understand how the Biden administration and other American policymakers, including uh, including many Republicans, refer to China as a as a challenge or competition, it's 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 frankly much much more much much more serious than that. My my point about what's happening right now is well, two things. First of all, let's address the specific thing that 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 you mentioned, which is really important: the idea that the New York Times has reported um, that U.S. intelligence services shared intelligence with the Chinese regarding Russia. So of course, this stuff was passed on to Russia. But remember, it's the New York Times. So if it's the New York Times reporting on the Biden administration, there's something clearly much worse or there's a larger play going on behind the scenes. I mean, I think we're starting to get a pretty good idea of what that is, because remember, the big picture was is that the Biden administration was asking China to intervene and to stop the Russians from going into Ukraine. So I think that one thing to look for the next few days is if China and the Biden administration come up with some sort of plan or some sort of joint initiative so that um, so that uh, Xi Jinping and that Joe Biden come out looking like skillful diplomatic uh, negotiators who have managed to 
broker a truce or even an end to the conflict in Ukraine. I mean, I, I, I suspect that that something like that is in the works. And if you see what different people are talking about right now in the news and even reports on social media um, and what the Europeans, in particular France and Germany, are saying, I think this is something for us to be looking for. And again, this is this elevates China in a way it shouldn't be. So the other way to understand the Ukraine conflict and China is that while many people have said, well, it's evidence of American weakness, and certainly um, Beijing must be looking on as Putin went into Ukraine virtually unopposed. Sure, there's a lot of angry social media campaigns and, and U.S. officials are ranting and raving either from the podium in the White House or or from NBC and CBS and ABC and CNN, but not nothing, right? And, and so it, it's a public show of weakness. And they wonder, what will this tell Xi? And what will this tell the CCP that they can do regarding Taiwan? Well, that's the we need to turn that around and look at it the other way. Two years ago, the Chinese Communist Party lied about uh, how COVID started, when COVID started, the nature of transmission. They prevented investigations into uh, their role in the dissemination of a deadly virus. Effectively, we don't know, and it will be very difficult ever to find out whether this was leaked intentionally or not. At this point, that's irrelevant. By lying about it, by allowing these different things to happen, by preventing an investigation for all practical purposes, the Chinese Communist Party deployed a bioweapon against the world, right? Millions are dead. Uh, and, and how did the world respond? Well, the world responded. Um, the world responded by gathering two years after the dissemination of a bioweapon to celebrate the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing mm. for the 2022 Winter Olympiads. So that's what people need to be looking at, right? That's what American adversaries are looking at, that no one has done anything about this, right? So the idea that all of a sudden that Putin uh, is going to um, invade Ukraine, push past Ukrainian borders, and even uh, with whispers of deploying tactical nuclear weapons. I mean, of course, <laughs> I mean, because no one has done anything about COVID-19. Mm, that's a fascinating point. And this connection is a really rich one. And, and again, folks can watch this new docuseries, China, the Enemy Within over at the Daily Wire. But the connection between China and Ukraine is particularly rich because if you look, let's just take the example of Hunter Biden. Let's take yeah. the Bidens. These are people, mm -hmm. American elites that are entangled in corrupt right. deals in both countries, in both countries. And you have a right. very, very helpful piece <clears throat> over at Tablet yeah. Magazine breaking down mm -hmm. all of the incredible incredibly convoluted political and financial connections. Yeah. Um, Ukraine has been, you know, for, I don't know, many reasons, a buffer state, as you explain mm -hmm. in this piece, which means that there are there's a lot of money to be made, basically. Mm -hmm. And if you could just walk us through some of the corruption and the American participation in that corruption in yeah. Ukraine, as you flesh out in the piece, I think that would be right. really helpful. I'd say the most important way to look at this, and I'll talk about Ukraine and then I'll come back to China in, in, in the same way. 
Ukraine has been seen as an instrument by the American national security establishment since the end of the Cold War, um, and certainly since since the rise of Vladimir Putin as an instrument, right, to go after Vladimir Putin. Um, we first saw uh, we first saw this, I guess, with the Orange Revolution in 2004, 2005, but we saw it most clearly. Um, with what's variously referred to as the Maidan revolution or Euromaidan or the revolution of dignity, which forced the Ukrainian president, a, uh, a, an ally of Putin's, forced him out of office into exile uh, in Moscow. After that, after the and, and, and the State Department was on the ground, senior State Department officials like Victoria Nuland were on the ground right, as part of this soft coup, and then they helped assemble a, uh, a Ukrainian government friendly to the United States and hostile to Russia. How did Putin respond? He responded by invading Ukraine and by seizing Crimea, right, and, and, and causing havoc, as I describe in my piece, in eastern Ukraine. And look, I think it was a good thing that the Obama administration at that point uh, did not arm the Ukrainians, but what it says is, is that they sent a client state like Ukraine out against a much, much stronger world power, namely Russia, without any understanding of how Putin might respond, which was by seizing Crimea and going into eastern Ukraine. Hmm. Right? And we're seeing the same thing again as they, as they pushed, uh, as they talked about NATO accession for Ukraine, and we hear this, uh, I mean, even the press is reporting this, that Putin does not want, uh, I mean, our, 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 our US press, um, that Putin does not want NATO on his borders, right? You can understand, I, this is not a defense of Vladimir Putin, and we can certainly understand and hope, and hope that our national security establishment has prepared responses to all sorts of uh, troubles and difficulties around the world and would deal with often our adversarial powers like the Russian Federation. However, there is no plan. We see right now there is no plan. What's happened again is while the press and while senior policymakers on the left and right are cheering the bravery of Ukrainian forces and Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky for his bravery, and, and yes, they deserve all these accolades, right? But who sent them out against this much more powerful neighbor. Mm. And there is no accountability being taken for the death and destruction that the U.S. national security establishment has caused in Eastern Europe. Uh, in, in Eastern Europe. Instead, what do they do? They get everyone to applaud these soft coups, right? They, they, oh, well, let, let's, give, let's give them all, uh, you know, color revolutions, orange and rose, and, and now they get everyone cheering for the Ukrainians. I, again, it's this is not, I'm not making an anti-Ukraine uh, argument here or a pro-Putin argument. Right. It's what has our national security establishment done to foment this chaos and for what purpose? What are the goals? As far as we can see, there are no goals aside from trying to cause problems with Vladimir Putin on the cheap. Now, just, so, just to tra oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, please. Well, I'm say, your critics, and I've seen some of this just on Twitter um, since the Tablet mm -hmm. article published, would say 
basically, the United States could not have orchestrated these coups in their entirety, that some of this is very much the organic, or most of this is very much the organic sentiments of the Ukrainian people who are now, you know, asking, as Zelensky has done, uh, to join NATO immediately, that this is, you know, very much uh, the, the Ukrainians wanting to be to be part of NATO and wanting to be sort of to further the, the buffer state, you know, they're sort of happily accepting the uh, United States as help. And if the United States is sort of locked in this geopolitical struggle with with Russia, um, you know, of course, they're going to supply Ukrainians with weapons and aid, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's tragic because Mm -hmm. here's the tragedy. It's it's a tragedy of geography, Mm -hmm. right? right? That's the problem. I mean, first of all, I, I mean, the, the way we would the way we would would start that, whether or not the Ukrainians want to be a part of the West or whether they want to be attached to Russia, we'd start that and say, well, it appears that there's lots of people in eastern Ukraine who believe that, you know, that would prefer to be attached to Russia. And it appears that there are lots of people in western Ukraine who would rather be attached to, to, to Europe. Mm. Right. But the fundamental fact is, as a buffer state. The logic of geopolitics dictates that they must have good relations with Russia and with, with Russia to the east and with Europe to the west. Right? What is Europe? What is the United States, a very distant superpower, willing to do to ensure Ukrainian sovereignty? If Ukraine were to join the EU and the EU does not want them in, right? What is Europe willing to do? I mean, D- Donald Trump in his famous phone call with Zelensky, right? Right. Donald Donald Trump said, "Yeah, you know, the Europeans, like Angela Merkel, they talk a lot about helping Ukraine, but what have they done? They don't give you anything. Hmm. No arms, no money. You know, we're the only, you know, we're the only people who do anything for you." And he was right. So even if the Ukrainians, you, unanimously, want to join the EU. The first problem is the EU won't have them. Second of all, what is the EU willing to do to protect them and not endanger them? This is the fact. The United States and the European Union have endangered Ukrainians, right? They are the ones who made Ukrainian sovereignty vulnerable by using Ukraine as a goad against Vladimir Putin. Ukraine can't lift up uh, its entire territory and move it to, say, Canada. <laughs> so I mean, it, if, it, if they could, the situation would be different, but it's not. They're always going to be on Russia's borders. So the question is, how are they going to deal with Russia? Right. And I was going to say that gets us back into what might feel like a chicken or egg situation in that is it the and this is sort of playing devil's advocate here is it the fault of the the nato folks in the united states for for using ukraine in this way yeah. or is it putin's fault for you know trying to spread his sort of soviet empire further and further um and then where does that stop uh you know a lot of people make um the argument about putin's uh ambition to revive the soviet empire I mean, the first thing I'd say about that is, well, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, right? There have been many things, there have been many ideas that have been attributed to Vladimir Putin, especially over the last five years. And I think most Americans, I mean, I, 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 certainly most Federalist readers, the Federalist has been, you know, the, the, the top publication covering the collusion nonsense, mm-hmm. you and, and Sean and Molly, I mean, you guys have been great on it. So I imagine the Federalist audience 
um, like me, is going to say, what can we possibly believe at this point yes. from American policymakers when they talk about Putin's intentions, right? I heard a former Obama ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, the other day say, Putin's lost it. He's gone crazy. He's changed very much in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I, I just started laughing. I mean, this lunatic, McFaul, that they appointed him, they appointed him ambassador to Moscow. And he lied about Russiagate. He lied about Putin. He lied about Trump. But now he's on TV talking about Putin's intentions and we're supposed to believe him now. I mean, it's just it's absolute insanity. And you right? made a good so, point. You were saying you're surprised you tweeted this. You're, you're like, it's surprising to see some folks on the right who uh, oh, were yeah, good I mean, on Russiagate is, suddenly credulously, tr uh, treating credulously the, the right. I mean, it's, of the world. It's just nuts. I mean, you know, they, they, they're, they're bringing on people. They're bringing on. They're bringing on American Ukraine experts who were who testified on the Hill to help a Democratic Congress <laughs> impeach Donald Trump, mm. right? To make up this whole Ukraine gate impeachment operation, and now they're bringing these people on on, on on you know conservative media. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, I mean, what's next? I mean, I mean, you know, gi giving Alexander Vindman a, a, a morning talk show. Right. I, I, you know, it's just absolutely crazy. So but it it shows it, it shows the kinds of things that conflict, uh, the kinds of things that conflict do, um, the conflict does to um, to an audience, to a media ecosystem where even people who know better, who should know better what's going on, these sorts of things happen. And all of a sudden it's, well, we must rush to the defense of the Ukrainians. We must condemn Vladimir Putin for like, slow down a little bit. <laughs> let's see what's happened here. And let's see how this actually affects the United States, the, the American public. And let's see, because this is a very important detail, how the, the American uh, national security establishment shaped what's going on here because without understanding these things right we could wind up in extraordinarily dangerous territory so i think that's the that that's an important thing to consider now just to touch on china for a second you talked about the bidens and of course the bidens naturally are involved we're involved we're collecting money from uh you know collecting money from burisma the ukrainian energy company <laughs> and of course we know that they were also collecting money from uh, from Chinese uh, uh, businessmen tied into the you know tied into the party as as most if not all businessmen uh, Chinese businessmen are. My point would be it's not just about the Bidens, right? right. This is the big issue with China, and it's also as it turns out the big issue with Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It's not just about one family. It's not even it's not even about a a handful of select officials. It's structural. Right. And what I mean by that, and one of the things that we get to in the series is, if you look at the amount, the number of industries and their ties to, the, to China, and so far that this is where their cash flow comes from, right? Here's the big problem with the Democratic Party in China. It's not Joe Biden. It's not even the Biden family or the Biden administration. The senior officials from CIA director to DNI to secretary of state to uh, uh, top military strategists, the Pentagon, all of whom we talk about in the series, 
It's not just about their financial and professional ties to Chinese Communist Party institutions. It's structural. And what I mean by that is, who are the big donors for the Democratic Party? Big tech, Wall Street, and Hollywood. Mm. And these three industries are tied into their their ability to make money depends on their relations with China. So if you want to attack or if you want to decouple the United States from China, we have to understand it's structural. It was built this way. It was built to make it difficult to decouple us, as Donald Trump tried to do, to decouple the United States from the Chinese Communist Party. It's hardly impossible. It's, it's, it's something that can obviously be done, but we have to understand the nature of this relationship, the money at stake, the political power, the prestige at stake. And again, the same thing, the same thing holds with right now with our, uh, with our Eastern Europe policy, our European policy. What are the structural factors um, that are underlying uh, a shooting war right now, tying us to this shooting war? Well, listeners of this podcast know that my guilty pleasure is following celebrity trends, although I can't really say I feel that guilty about it. But recently, I learned about an under-the-radar investment that some of the ultra-wealthy have been quietly funneling their money into for generations. And, of course, it really piqued my interest. Famous folks are known for touting their art collections, but you no longer have to be a coastal elite to invest in one of the oldest asset classes of all time. Because Masterworks is making adding art to your portfolio possible. Masterworks gives investors just like you access to the asset class that had low correlation to the S&P 500 over the past two decades. Masterworks even achieved a 32% and 31% net return for investors based on the sale of a Banksy and condo piece in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now you don't have to be a hedge fund manager to invest in multi-million dollar paintings from iconic artists like Picasso, Warhol, and Banksy. And Masterworks has results. They've sold two paintings that netted their inventors a 30% plus IRR in 2020 and 2021. Even better, our listeners here at Federalist Radio Hour get priority access to their newest offerings. Simply go to masterworks.art slash federalist to get started. That's masterworks.art slash federalist. Before deciding to invest, carefully review the important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Right. And it is, that's a, it's such an important point that the financial and political structure is what's at stake itself. And it reminds me in Ukraine, the, the saga of the center, the European Center for a Modern Ukraine, uh, which mm-hmm. was basically a grift in the United States that was uh, a front. Um, and But it's, yeah. its lobbying operation in the United States was being led by both Paul Manafort and Tony mm. Podesta, you have this perfect, right. in this, you have a perfect example of how this is bipartisan and this is the structure of our politics, essentially. Right. Do you, I mean, here's a funny thing. I mean, tell me if we're getting too far in the weeds. But again, I know it's a, it's a federalist audience, so they know the they know the whole Russiagate story pretty well. Right. But everyone talked about, oh, yeah, Manafort, he's a Russian agent because he was really close to Russian uh, Ukrainian president. 
Viktor Yanukovych, who yes. was uh, a Putin ally. What what did Manafort do? Manafort Manafort was the guy who was pushing Yanukovych to accept the trade deal with Europe, right? Arguably, the American that Vladimir Putin would hate most is Paul Manafort, right? Right, saying, "What are you doing?" This guy's trying to flood the Ukrainian and Russian market with European goods. This madman, Manafort, has to be stopped. Arguably, that is the one American he hates more than anyone. But no. But our press turned Manafort into a pro-Putin operative, and therefore Trump is controlled by Putin. That's how, that's how crazy our press has become, to ignore these simple facts and to actually put two and two together. And that's why I urge, uh, why why I urge your audience, why I urge American news consumers to be extremely wary about the reports that we're getting right now regarding Ukraine. Again, this is not to mount a defense of Vladimir Putin. Right? It's just you know what we've seen going on the last several years. And so we know also, and this is a, a sort of funny thing when you look at Tony Podesta and Paul Manafort essentially being on the same page here on the same team, right. it's that Hillary Clinton's State Department was taking meetings with Tony Podesta's lobbying firm about this effort and allowing to, right. themselves to be lobbied by him many, many times uh, while she was at the State Department and while this was unfolding. So there's it's, it's about control, but it's also about money right. at the end of the day. It's not red and blue. It's just, it's plainly just green. That's all they care about. Right. I mean, if you look at, uh, I mean, my, my understanding, I mean, I think that Viktor Pinchuk, who's a Ukrainian oligarch, I mean, I think he was the top contributor to the Clinton Foundation. <laughs> but right. If you look at the amount of money that was Ukrainian money that was processed into, you know, that was proce processed into the Clinton uh you know, the Clinton camp. Yeah, it's astonishing. And this is what a lot of it has to do with. It's, 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 it's structural. I mean, the idea that, the, I mean, that the Clinton Foundation should have been allowed to exist. I mean, it's clearly, I'm, I hope I can get away with saying this and I don't get you guys in trouble, but it's quite patently a money laundering operation, right? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I, I mean, you know, if, if, if it wasn't the Clintons, right? If it was the, hey, the Gambino Foundation, the Gambino Foundation, what does that do? Oh, it takes money from people and then it launders it and then it launders it and it gives money to the five families. How's that? I mean, it's so obvious. It's but we were supposed to say, oh, oh, you know, oh, hey, you know what? Why? And why is the the the, the um, why is the Gambino Foundation getting more money when Carlo Gambino is secretary of state? Oh, let me guess. <laughs> Maybe he's making decisions that happen to please the people who are, who are you know, who are funding, funding the uh, the foundation. Mm -hmm. So th th this is what's happening. And again, again, to talk about China, it's important to understand the structural relationships that are at stake here. And that's why I say that's my main my main case is that it's not China so much that our elites, that our establishment is protecting, right? They're protecting themselves. They're defending their own income. They're defending their own uh, cash flow, right? But the Chinese understood this, right? And this is what the phrase elite capture means. Because the whole point is they don't need these people to get out there and lobby for China. They get them to lobby for themselves, mm -hmm. right? And that defends China by China giving these guys a stake in their system. 
or pro or and, and more often than not promising a stake in the Chinese system and then not delivering or holding on to their money, making it impossible for for these Americans to get their money out of out of China. Right. They will lobby. They lobby policymakers on their own. Yeah. So, no, you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go hard. Hey, you can't. You know, you, you may have seen the recent decision about, um, you know, the DOJ has decided to back off of this program where they were looking, you know, they, they were focusing on uh, Chinese espionage. Mm. Right. Oh, that's uh, that's very bad. Who's that bad for? Well, it's bad for China. But who else is it bad for? A program like that. It's bad for American universities because American universities have there are more than you know there are hundreds of thousands of uh, of Chinese student visa holders. Who else is it bad for? It's bad for all the big tech firms here that prefer to hire foreign workers, right? Right. And this is why they get this is why they get legislators to uh, to write bills saying no more. Uh, we need a lot more uh, student visas for foreigners. Yeah, because it's too expensive to hire Americans. That's why there aren't Americans doing STEM work because mm -hmm. they were priced out of it. We all hear, oh yeah, it's a great national security danger. We don't have enough Americans doing STEM work. That's because American legislators in partnership with uh, university administrators and big tech executives said, yeah, the Americans are too expensive. Let's go cheap. Let's bring the Chinese in here. Now, if you have hundreds of thousands of student visa holders from China, you can't cover them. The FBI can't cover them. The DOJ can't cover them. The thing was set up to make it impossible to investigate them, right? There's 13,000 FBI agents. And when they're not doing things like spying on Donald Trump's campaign, right, there's a lot of real things that they're supposed to be doing, whether it's stopping organized crime, whether it's doing uh, counterintelligence work, 13,000, even if all 13,000 of them were focusing on China here in the United States, it's still not enough. So that's what I mean. It's structural. You want to stop the Chinese from stealing uh, sensitive or classified research from American universities? No more student visa holders or cut the number down to something manageable, like 150 instead of hundreds of thousands a year. Mm. So it's been interesting to watch this particular case study because I can't remember ever seeing, um, and, and maybe this is something to do with COVID, but I can't remember ever seeing this much um, opposition creeping into the mainstream, creeping, I should say. Uh, for instance, you were on Tucker's show, and I have mm -hmm. certainly not agreed with everything Tucker has said on this, but the fact that he mm -hmm. is saying it, um, I think has been galvanizing for the, the opposition to what I think is accurately referred to as the blob uh, here in Washington, no. D.C., the blob of foreign policy experts and media and think tanks and government, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think the, the, the tide is turning, or it seems to me that the blob is fairly impenetrable and, and does what it does um, no matter what. And I think that's we've, we have seen that in this particular case. And they try to crack down on dissident voices and treat them um, as, you know, they're, they're Putin stooges, even if, you know, in your yeah. piece, you are so nuanced and, and so careful and I think so fact-based. Um, is this anything that can actually, like, can, can the Titanic be turned around? Uh, well, I definitely think they're going to continue to look. I mean, they've been calling uh, they've been calling Trump supporters. They started with the candidate himself, right, as a, a disloyal, treasonous traitors who's emplaced by Vladimir Putin. 
And then it turned into Trump supporters with January 6th, right? Oh, they're uh, treasonous, they're insurrectionists, they're seditionists. So the, the play all along has been to uh, has been to suggest that at least half of the country is treasonous if it doesn't go along with, uh, you know, with what the establishment, what the oligarchy uh, promotes as true. So they will continue that. And they're definitely going to use the uh, Ukraine conflict in the same way. We'll see how they push it more and more, but they're definitely going to do that. And so far as what that oligarchy is like, no, I think they're extraordinarily weak. I mean, I think they're I, 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 I use a I use a phrase. Uh, in, in that tablet piece that that you were talking about, that comes from, you know, that comes from uh, Isaiah the prophet, mm-hmm. when he's warning the Jews not to, you know, not to rely on Pharaoh, saying he's a bro- he's a it's a bro- he's a broken reed, right? Pharaoh is a broken reed, who pierces every hand that leans on him, right? Our establishment is a broken reed, right? They're weak, and they're scared, and they're nuts. Right. And we can see how scared they are in the different responses they have to reality. This is not the way that a uh, a coherent establishment acts. Right. A coherent establishment uh, does not protect Anthony Fauci. A coherent establishment does not protect Mark Milley. Instead, what do they do? They say this 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 guy. I mean, we could this guy could get us all in a lot of trouble here. I mean, with the, the the amount of money that they were processing into Wuhan, and we're going to protect Fauci. Why would we protect Fauci? No, we got to make this guy walk the plank, or else the American people are going to lose their minds, and we're all going to be in big trouble here. Mark Milley's out there talking about like palling around with a you know with a with with, with, with his Chinese counterpart, the People's Liberation Army, and oh, we think that's okay. Get rid of Milley, but no, they're holding on to all these people. Right. Because what they know is that once these clowns, these monsters like Fauci and Millie are exposed, then it's only a matter of time before the same thing happens to them. And, and Lee, let's close on a, a practical question, which is that as um, you know, people who have the, the good fortune of not working on these issues every day and not having to think about yeah. the miserable sort of state of yeah. global affairs uh, are trying mm-hmm. to understand. Um, and even for experts, it's actually really difficult right now to, to uh, sort fact from fiction. Um, what advice would you have for people trying to process and consume this news? And you know, what would you say about people trying to, to spot propaganda um, as it sort of shows up on their social media feeds. And then- I, I mean, my sense is, my sense is that most people, you know, most people are very savvy. It's like, well, first of all, I'm, I'm just not certain why, uh, you know, wh- why, why what's happening in Ukraine on the Ukrainian border with Russia, why that's more important than what's happening in the United States. I mean, you know, we talked about Tucker before, Tucker talks about this every show. But people know, I mean, people look at, you know, they, they see what their food prices are. They see what the energy prices are. And then when they hear Joe Biden saying, oh, no, the problem with our energy prices, that's because of what Putin is doing in Ukraine. I mean, people see through that nonsense. And the people who did follow, you know, Russiagate, not just the, you know, fanatics like, you know, like you and me and the, and, 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 and the Federalist crew. I mean, people who understood what's happening, they... They see the same people get on TV and talk about Vladimir Putin, and they know it stinks, right? They know there's something wrong with it, and they know that there are issues going on here that the Biden administration is not addressing. The Biden administration has worked to divide the country, right? And they will continue to do that. So, 
I mean, I, I, again, I, I think that most American, uh, most most of the American public is extremely savvy, right? I mean, they 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 know how to they can smell it. Thanks, mm. Lee Smith, author, journalist. Um, also, you can check out the Enemy Within over at the Daily Wire. Just a really helpful uh, series detailing and fleshing out all of these complicated uh, but important connections. Thank you. We're so lucky to have a slice of your time during this very busy Emily, time for thank, you. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great speaking to you. And I look forward to speaking uh, sometime again soon. That sounds great, Lee. Keep up the good work. We are so glad to follow it. You have been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the friend.